Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, y'all. This is Carol in South Carolina, and you're listening to my fave, Catherine, along with Matt and David on The Tennis Podcast. Oh, Carol, what a voice. And uh, Catherine, she's uh, you're her fave, apparently. Um, which, did she uh, say that? Yeah, she did, yeah. Oh. It's nice, isn't it? I genuinely didn't hear that. Let's hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play it for you later. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Thanks ever so much, just, Carol. Just play myself to sleep with the sound of <laughs> Carol. And uh, she's from South Carolina. Yeah, which she's is... a lovely accent, hasn't she? Yeah, very much so. Your... And Charleston Town, which is, uh, which is the sort of relevant week for it really matt well picked out how you doing you're right <laughs> yes these things don't happen by accident david <laughs> <laughs> thought not yeah charleston has been going on last week it's also going on this week because that's the way the wta rolls just at the moment very sensibly playing a couple of tournaments in the space of a couple of weeks in the same place um so we'll get on to talk about what happened in charleston and marbella uh, and all the other tournaments that have taken place over the last week. The clay court season very much underway now, and uh, we will look ahead to Monte Carlo as well. Uh, we've got a mascot this week, which we'll be telling you all about a bit later, George, who I've just seen a picture of, and uh, that took about 10 minutes while Catherine just drooled all over uh, George's picture. Uh, and But Catherine's had a bit of a day today, a bit of a busy day, and she has been oh, challenged with running an online forum with some serious people on it, and for a very good reason. Catherine, what, what's been going on today? Yes, uh, I was hosting a, uh, a conference, a forum for the ITF online, obviously, uh, about uh, gender equality, or rather gender inequality, uh, part of the ITF's Advantage All campaign to uh, promote gender equality in sport obviously in particular tennis but tennis leading the way for for other sports as it kind of traditionally has um and a kind of seizing back of the microphone that uh that billy jean king um kind of took control of back in the 1970s and perhaps tennis hasn't always since then owned its place as the the leader for gender equality among sports but um I think uh, part of the 
one of the prongs of today was to to try and own that position within the sporting world. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's doable, I think. Mm. You had a half an hour chat with Billie Jean King and on her body clock, it was what, 4am? Yes. Right. The, 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 best, the best news, the most validating news I have heard in a long time is that Billie Jean King is not a morning person. <laughs> I've always... Yet more in common. <laughs> whilst, I have, uh, whilst I've always been, been comfortable with my uh, sleep-loving traits... I've always secretly harboured an anxiety and an insecurity that actually all the world's great high achieving people are those people that wake up with the sun and go on a run uh, before most people's alarm clocks have gone off. And then they home make a green smoothie uh, (laughs) that they use to drink down their vitamins and then, I mean, look, I drink green. I drink green juices. I have vitamins. I well, no, I don't I haven't go seen on you. Um But you know, I don't do any of those things before the sun rises. No, uh, no. And neither does Billie Jean King. And uh, that was very reassuring. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you also had on your panel the the wonderful names of uh, from the world of sport: uh, Victoria Azarenka, uh, Annika Sorenstrom. You had uh, Chanda Rubin. Um, uh, Caroline Weir, the the footballer. Um, so it was, it was there were so many different people to hear from, and this was off the back of some some findings from the ITF's uh, uh, report. They they commissioned a study, hadn't they, for mm. some research into the coverage of women's sport and men's sport in in the media and online to to try to provide some evidence for what we all feel i suppose what what feels like is is an inequality and here it was intangible data um what what did you consider to be some of the significant findings a lot of it was about i mean the data already exists about the the volume of media coverage that is occupied by women's sports opposed to men there's something something that billy jean king quoted at the forum it's it's around about four percent um, of worldwide media coverage is devoted to to women's sport which is obviously appalling she gave this great line where she's where she said you know give us 50 percent and then see what we can do just you know a lot of when you when people use the argument of uh you know the appetite isn't there for women's sport well give us the money and see what we can do with it but one of the I'd say there were two two main findings from from the research. One was it was quite qualitative in nature. The research about what specifically um, in coverage of women's sport is different in a kind of insipid way, and it's language. The language surrounding women's sport is softer. It's less combative. It's less competitive. There are significantly few you, you, you search greatest of all time and you'll have to scan a long way down the search results before you see any mention of women's tennis it'll the default is always men's tennis w- women are women first and athletes second whereas men are allowed to be athletes first there's far more association of women athletes with with other things there's far more mention of 
family status. There's far more mention of health status. There's far more mention of relationship status. You can't just be an athlete if you're a woman. Um, and yeah, there's far less competitive language doing battle, that kind of thing. That's just far less frequently applied to women's sport. And if it is, it's the edges are just ever so slightly softened. But the other, well, depending on which it, where you look at it, a very positive finding of the research is that the appetite is there. The appetite is pretty much the same uh, for men's sport as it is for women's sport if you go on the basis of um, what, people's, what people are searching for. The problem is what results come up when they search for it. The problem that, is definitely you, you search for struck me. Yeah. tennis results and men's tennis results come up. Yeah. If you, well, if you well, want well, women's tennis results, you have to specifically search women's tennis. Yeah. And we, I mean, I saw that anecdotally just when, when I was researching for Tennis Relived a few months back and we were looking up the, the Grand Slam finals and, and tournaments to, to decide what we were going to cover. And yeah, I, I would put Wimbledon champions and it would just give me men's results at the top and I'd have to go and search for, for, for the women's results. Um, and it was the same with all the Grand Slams. Mm. So Yeah, I mean, it, look, that's that won't be news to a lot of women, sort of women as other. It's our sort of natural state in the world. Default is man. Um, that's nothing new. But yeah, to see it in, to see it in numbers is it's both alarming and and validating mm. i suppose um because you know women do get gaslit a lot about about the state of the world oh you know you're exaggerating or you're oversensitive to it you know um so it is very validating to have to have it in numbers mm. um quite, yeah. quite interesting to to have a, a not only the panel of athletes and them relating their personal experiences and how they viewed it and how they'd been covered, but also uh, you'd got people in the room like Peter Hutton was on the the uh, the panel who's from Facebook and who used to be with Eurosport and is able to give a a, a view from the media side and and from the the, the big tech corporate side as well. Um, Matt, you you watched the whole presentation the whole discussion what what were your takeaways what did, what did you think of it all yeah it, it was really interesting I, I i think i learned a lot billy jean king said right at the start 40 percent of participation for women and four percent of the coverage which actually did shock me I, i'm not sure i'd heard that statistic before and that was it was so alarming how how low that four percent is i mean it's, it's 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 absurd it's terrible and then there was such interesting discussion in Catherine's portion of of the panel about well I think it was Caroline Weir actually talking about football talking about how the women's game is covered she thinks less technically you know you don't get this sort of technical analysis actual breakdown of the sport and it's sort of hearing things like that which sort of makes me you know kind of want to check myself you know I'm, I'm someone who talks about women's sport about men's sport and you know I know that we're always conscious, for example, planning a tennis relived series to do half and half uh, men's and women's. And, and really, we are conscious of trying to cover women's tennis as much as we do men's tennis. And there was a lot of talk about sort of being gender blind and trying just to see it as tennis rather than spilling it into men's tennis and women's tennis. But it really made, made me think, am I talking about the women's game in the same way I talk about the men's game? And I think 
just hearing people speak like that is is important every now and again so that it's a reminder that you need to check your unconscious bias and and sort of think yourself about the way you're covering it um because yeah i mean there's that there's that study isn't there in invisible women in the book where people are asked to think of a doctor and so many people will just automatically picture a man and that i think plays into sport and i just think it was a really it was a really important reminder that we in the media have a have a responsibility and we can shape the conversation and we can make a difference so yeah i mean i learned loads it was it was really really fascinating and catherine did a great job yeah uh, I was in a meeting, so I needed to watch it. But I'm going to watch it after this. My agent, um, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's, it, it was ironically uh, an occasion where it felt appropriate to have imposter syndrome because among among that company, I very definitely was an imposter. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was no. a privilege to be a part of. <laughs> Perfect choice. Um <laughs> So that happened earlier today, and just a final note on on Billie Jean King: the the awe with which the rest of the panelists seemed to speak about her, and the things that she'd said at the start. Because you just find yourself nodding your head, even even things I've heard before. I'm like, good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything she says, I, I just just does it for me in terms of mm. of making me understand what what the issues are and the urgency of it she's 77 years old she's been up since 4am and she she just can't get the words out quickly or powerfully enough there will never there will you know i asked her an unplanned question at the end cuz she started talking about she she asked everybody there to leave the forum that day thinking what do i want my legacy to be do how can i be on the right side of history it's okay to be the first but it's not okay to be the last and i said i said okay well we're going to go to questions in a second but what do you, what do you want your legacy to be and she said i'm not done yet fellow <laughs> <laughs> like saying don't mean now <laughs> um and yeah she gave this really um, quite poignant answer about how she feels her time running out and she hates it and she's acutely aware of it and all this unfinished business you know she <laughs> I mean she's not leaving the world touch wood anytime soon but when she does she doesn't want to leave it the way it is now there's so much she wants to do and change and see and the energy and effervescence of her in that is utterly infectious mm. Well, uh, one of the legacies will be to be infectious and to energise that sort of room and make everybody else take it on um, in her name. Mm. And, that, and that's that's surely what it's got to be all about. Um, but anyway, good on you, Catherine. Well done today. Uh, right, let's talk about what's going on in the tennis world at the moment. Um, the clay court season has just started and we're all massively excited except Daniel Medvedev, um, <laughs> who seems to be absolutely unenthralled by all of it, um, which is no great surprise because I, I seem to remember us talking about him at the French Open when he was just... He, 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 I think I, I said at the time he looks like he will never win a clay court match in his life no matter what he does because he just doesn't look like his game works on that surface to me. 
just flat hits that don't go through the court and and he's doing he's smacking it as hard as he can and he just doesn't go anywhere um and and he uh, what i like is that he's, he doesn't pretend it's anything different to what it is yes i agree with you as somebody that uh, did a solo commentary on his first round loss at the french open last year it was dreadful i mean i think he managed to drag it out to to four, maybe even five sets, and yet still it felt like there was never a point at which he was going to win that clay court tennis match. But a, a slight devil's advocate question for you both. Could could it be a Daniel Medvedev mind game? Well, did he, he have is a dec- doing a lot of mind games. He, at he the had moment. a decent run, didn't he, Matt, on a clay court well, once? the last time he played Monte Carlo... He got to the semi-finals. He he well, beat he beat I think Sitsipas and Djokovic that week. So, so is it a Daniil Medvedev mind game? Maybe he's trying to fool himself. Well, mm. my sources, Ooh. my one source, tell who watched his practice against Nadal. Is this Matt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another Matt. Hello, Matt. Another excellent Matt. Tells me that. He was getting caned by Nadal. You can't go straight in at practicing with Nadal and then go out and say, oh, I hate clay. <laughs> no, you, play you me and get your confidence <laughs> up. That's what I say. Right, okay. Um, so anyway, Dan Medvedev, nobody's predicting him this week then, by the sounds of it. Well, uh, in fact, nobody's yeah. going to get the blooming tournament played by the way it's gone today. Absolute washout. Um, they managed about half a set uh, before the rain came. So uh, what, what can I say? Watch Monte Carlo and find out, and we'll tell you about it on Thursday. <laughs> well, someone else who doesn't enjoy the clay, it would seem, is Alex Dimonor. I, I was. Oh, really? I, I watched a bit of him today, and he, he's another one with those flat hits. And he lost today to Davidovich Fakina. It was one of the matches they were able to finish. They've got a court in Monte Carlo, which sort of has a roof. It's it's inadequate. It's it's a sort of she, it's a tarpaulin sheet, and eventually the rain comes through. But they were able. It's to... like what's popped up at most UK pubs yes, today. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And the sides are open, so it counts as outdoors. And um, so it's very COVID safe. And yet the rain comes in and eventually they have to stop play. But they're able to play for long enough that, that he lost. And he's only won two clay court matches at ATP level in his career. And he's up to about 80 wins on a hard court and only two on clay. It's, it's an, but it's it, an incredible say, difference. One- the trajectory of that ball, I find that's what I find so f- endlessly fascinating about clay is how it just nullifies games and um, fuels others. Mm. It's it's so interesting. It brings some into the equation who are not factors for the rest of the year, and it takes people out. It, it really does change change the narrative in a way that I don't think happens with other surface changes clay is still the biggest one i think for that matt loves it i love Don't clay. You, matt? i tell you what i've really realized is i've realized i love clay at this time of the season we had a brief clay swing didn't we in september october last year and it's still great you still get the different types of points when it was at that time of the year but there's something 
different and special about it happening now it fits with spring i don't know whether that's because we're used to it fitting then but the weather works and absolutely i mean not in monte carlo this week but everywhere else you know you associate it with with the sun and you know just that i just think that fresh air and we've had six or seven months of hard court tennis it just it just feels like it injects real life into the season at this time of the year and it's it's such a unique uniquely tennis thing i think given that we're in tennis we can normalize clay but it's it's a bit weird the fact that the surfaces change in tennis it's such a nice quirk to the sport Mm. and clay is the is the most sort of strange and unusual of all the surface changes in tennis i think and as i said it i love the way it changes the texture and shape of matches and it you get this proper swing, all roads leading to Roland Garros, you know, some quite glamorous tournament locations before. It's 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 just a very nice time of the year and we've not had it for a couple of years because obviously it was all cancelled last year. So I don't know, I'm just, I'm feeling, feeling buoyed by the clay. You're very Billie Jean King about I it. I am. <laughs> Which is excellent. Um, we, uh, we love a swing here on the Tennis yes, Podcast. More swings. Oh, yes, Yeah, we, um, we asked, I say we, I asked on Twitter, uh, what do you love about uh, about Clay? And we got a massive response. Here, here are a few highlights. Paul McNamee, who actually used to be the tournament director of the Australian Open and was uh, one of the best doubles players in in the world and a very good singles player, he, he wrote and said, it's the ultimate test of mind and body arousing all your senses. Nina said, as a very amateur tennis player and observer... Even I can gauge point construction and execution. It also shows off a player's tennis IQ and strategic thinking like no other surface. Plus, it's a really pretty colour. Correct. My, my kids like it for that reason. The Tennis Tribe says clay lends itself to all types of playing styles. The clever can diffuse the big hitter. The counterpuncher can outlast the big server. The mover can slide their way to an upset. The possibilities are endless. And Pete Phillipson says the sweeping of the court after each set, wiping away battles past, ready for battles new, which I I like. I I do love the sweeping of a of a clay court and just sort of like preparing freshly fallen snow for you to put your footsteps in. I love the watering of a clay court. Those that that can be a bit con- controversial, can't it? All that sort of stuff, you know. And I don't really understand the rules, whether there are rules around that or whether it's just a sort of um, decision by the ground staff or an umpire or a referee is, right, it's time to water the court. You know what I mean? I mean, evidently, I don't either, David. <laughs> Any ideas, Matt? I think they often water at the end of a set, don't they? But I, yeah, but I think but you're I right. Know I don't think just... it's... Uh... I think it depends on the playing conditions. They weren't watering today in Monte Carlo, for example. There was no need. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if you saw Monte Carlo today, you know how they they set out on the first day of Monte Carlo to make you as jealous as possible (laughs) that you're not there. And today they were trying every camera angle under the sun just not to show (laughs) the sort of cloud that had enveloped the mountain just above the club. and And eventually they just sort of gave up and they just put this stationary camera on the tarpaulin as this rain splattered it for four straight hours. Um, lots of people have said uh, they like clay because it means the grass courts just around the corner. Um, so not everybody is quite as uh, up for the clay court season as uh, as we are. But 
I, I think this weekend particularly brought it into focus and, and just got all those nerve endings going because of what particularly what Marbella was like over the final weekend because that was sunny and spring-like and there was a crowd and they were all into it and there were there were two Spanish guys going hammer and tong and looping the ball at each other and coming in and playing these little drop shots as well I mean it was it, it was proper clay court tennis as I regard it as um it was won in the end by pablo carina buster beating jame munar which we were very grateful to carina buster for because it means that daryl who's in our predictions competition got zero points as opposed to 210 if he'd have got munar winning um but anyway well done carina buster six one two six six four cracking match and uh and also there was a carlos alcaraz sighting matt Yes, he he beat Feliciano Lopez in a, in a match which I think had one of the largest age discrepancies in ATP history. I was reading that the that the largest age discrepancy was Dominic Team versus Thomas Muster when Muster came I back. I remember that a few years ago. Me too. I, I think that. Catherine, you were on the Champions Tour, I think I was. <laughs> imploring Thomas to come on it rather than make a total fool of himself up against Dominic Team. I've written about that match. Crikey. <laughs> Yeah, don't think it was pretty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then Alcaraz also beat Casper Ruud. Yeah, that's a really good win for Alcaraz. Yeah, we can move on from that. <laughs> um, I said Ruud would win the tournament. So sign up to the newsletter for more great <laughs> predictions. Carry on, Matt. I was, I was just left with this sense that I've been left with every time I watch Alcaraz, that he is going to be a problem for players in the future. He is so good. Remind us why. I think more than anything, it's it's the forehand which really stands out at the moment. I mean, he can he can inject pace on that forehand out of out of seemingly nothing, which I think is so important. Such a weapon. He can also do it on his backhand. Um, he's got, he's got great court awareness and point construction. Probably comes from growing up on the clay, as as we've been talking about, and then. He competes so well. There's, there is a, there is an element of Rublev, what we've been talking about. Sort of every point, there's this intensity. And I know we've talked about the potential negatives of that with Rublev, of not having gears to go to. But when you consider the way that Alcaraz can inject that pace on his forehand, that strikes me as a gear that maybe Rublev doesn't have. Um, he's also incredibly willing to come forward. That you know that he finished points at the net. He, he he doesn't hit extraordinary volleys off his toes very often, but he finishes a lot of points at the net, which is really, really mm. encouraging. I think um, that that really strikes me about mm. him, his willingness to do that, and the and the fact that that seems instinctive. Yes, to him, I, I think a lot of younger players kind of force themselves to to do that. Um, you can almost sort of hear the commentator in their head saying, "I wish he'd come in more, finish off those points." <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm, I, I will. <laughs> but uh, it, it looks instinctive, 
Well, I shared I shared um, a little video clip because I, I haven't seen much of Alcaraz play, and I was watching the tail end of of that match that he played against Munar, I think, in the semi-finals when he was scrapping to stay in it. Very close semi-final. Munar, by the way, he played really well in that match, but there was just one return that Alcaraz hit, smashed this backhand return with loop and topspin down the line, but with pace as well. And the moment he'd struck it, it realised where it was going, and he was off towards the net, like almost like a, a chip and charge but with a drive instead of a, a chip and he didn't need to play another shot I mean the ball didn't come back it was a clean winner but he was at the net in an instant which uh, like you've explained there Catherine that was not a the cogs in the head turning and making him think oh I better go to the net it was just a feeling and he's off mm. Um, so very exciting. Yeah, he's very exciting. And it feels unfair to not talk as much about Public Arena Buster, but because he's been around for so long, I think you get used to what he's doing. But this was another good win for him, wasn't it? I mean, you know, he's now 29 years of age. He's won five titles. I think all of them have been ATP 250 level. And yet really, Matt, he's more of a a hard court player, isn't he? I've always thought of him as a clay courter because he's from Spain and because you know all the rest of it. But actually, it's not like this happens all the time for him. He's younger than Grigor Dimitrov. Oh God! Before you start saying how long he's been around for, <laughs> he's been in two U.S. Open semi-finals. Yeah, Blimey. that's the thing. I think Nick Kyrgios has called him out as a clay quarter, hasn't he? And sort of <laughs> saying that he's only made his way in the rankings because of what he's achieved on clay. But I mean, are you saying that Nick Kyrgios hasn't done his research? Man? That is exactly what I'm saying. Uh, and yeah, you're right. His best results have have come on come on hardcore, as you said. Two U.S. Open semi-finals. That's I think it's quite easy to overlook that. But yeah, I think this was his 200th win on tour. He's, he's just outside the top 10 now. So so dependable. So so solid and yet those those words feel like they're not really doing him justice they almost feel like you're patronizing mm. him when you say things like that but that kind of that kind of is is the truth of his game he's yeah he's he's a good player and um Bjorn Borg was in the crowd watching he's got some connection to the club and he seemed to have a real appreciation of that you know of what it meant to be playing in front of Bjorn Borg he he, he really referenced that in his in his speech afterwards in a in a very bizarre post match ceremony did you did you see that no they got some guy out who started singing you raise me up with with (laughs) (laughs) and it was choreographed with the ball kids all raising their arms up in sync very bizarre scenes (laughs) how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Okay, well, well done, Pablo Carrera Buster. Uh, and in Sardinia... Matt has got a big smile on his face because he correctly predicted that Lorenzo Sinego would win the title and he beat Laszlo Jerry uh, 267664, earning Matt... Uh, Slightly disappointing a number of points. Yeah, 65 points for Matt in the newsletter predictions, which Matt seems to think is undervaluing the... The the guts and the courage and the foresight in his prediction, um, but you know, sorry, Matt, that's just the rules. You know, it's the official tennis podcast multiplier, and that's what it came up with: sixty-five points. Those go to you. You're at the top of the standings. Sign up to the newsletter. See if you can stay there. He can't. Um, so, Thank you yeah, it's <laughs> it is quite a good prediction, though. I wouldn't have gone for Sonego. I must admit. Oh, because um, you didn't. No, I didn't. I went for Gaspar Rudy. You had the option to, and you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. All right. Um, did anybody see any of that? Did I see it? I was living and dying on every point, David. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell us about Lorenzo Senego. Why did he win that title? What's good about him? Could I just say, bef- before you do that, I think it might be Sonego. Oh, is it? Oh. All right, Lorenzo Sonego. I think so, and I, th- I yeah. think, just while we're on that, I think we might be doing Moonar wrong as well. Oh, great. Oh, no, I'm quite <laughs> confident well. about Moonar. No, no, his first name. Jaume. 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 There yeah. you go, not too bad. Right, uh, Sonego, though. <laughs> go on, Matt. Thanks, Catherine. Oh, no, I, I've been doing it wrong as, as well. There's no fingers being pointed. I'm just, <laughs> while we're here. <laughs> quite right. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Matt, Cairn, Sonigo, what, what's good about him? Apart from the fact that he won the bloody title. <laughs> it was a very battling week. He won his last three matches in three sets. The semi-final win over Taylor Fritz, 
was very impressive because he was in control of that match and let Fritz back into it. And I was reminded of one of Mary Carrillo's great sayings. Is it is it easier to come back from behind or is it easier to come back from ahead? And the latter is what Sonigo had to do in that match because he totally let Fritz, Fritz back into it. He really tightened up and Fritz took that opportunity. But then the way Sonigo reset in that final set was really impressive. And then he had to come back from behind in the final against Laszlo Gera. He was he was a set down. And yeah, I was really impressed with with his fight. He's got a he's got a big forehand, that's his main weapon, but he loves a drop shot. I mean he he, he overuses it at times, I think, but it, it it's also it's also a weapon for him when he gets it right. So yeah, just just impressive. First Italian man to win in Italy since Valandri fifteen years ago. He's he's into the top thirty now, which is significant with Roland Garros coming up. If he can stay there, having a seeding will be will be pretty important for him. And then he went and won the doubles as well, becoming the first man to win singles and doubles at an event since uh since Feliciano Lopez did it at Queens a couple of years ago. Oh, which those are the days. Those were the days. Uh so yeah, just just a really impressive fighting, battling week from Sonigo. Mm. And he won doubles with his fellow Italian, Andrea Vavasori. Yes. I've no idea if that's right, David. So, See, I, I, I'm listening. Let's assume I'm thinking, it is. Surely it should be Lorenzo Senego. <laughs> don't you think? I don't know. If there okay. are any Italian speakers out there, but, confirm it. But <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm too tired. Carry on. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's go to Charleston, where I can't cock up anything, uh, except uh, Veronica Kudamatova won the title, beating Danka Kovanich six four six two for her first WTA title. I've been I've been keeping my eye on Kudamatova for mm. the last mm. few months because she feels like she's come out of the pack a bit and gone from being a player that you know was a was a solid top hundred you know, maybe top 50 player, but to somebody who's now threatening opponents higher than her and beating quite regularly, frequently, people that are that she should beat, you know. And here she is in Charleston, which was kind of dominated. I mean, it's, it's, it's the green clay court tournament, isn't it? It's the only one of its type on the circuit, on the WTA main ATP or WTA circuits. How do we um, feel about green clay? I feel like it looks very grey. Yeah, it's grey, right? It's grey clay. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I'm not a fan, I must say. If you get close up to it, I think, I mean, it clearly is green, mm. but on camera, with the normal camera shot, it definitely looks grey. I prefer blue visually. I, I much preferred it when we had the blue clay at, in Madrid. But and, and I think it does play differently from what people say that have played on it compared to red clay, uh, the traditional European red clay. Um but this tournament was all about the fact that Ash Barty was playing and the fact that Sloane Stevens was having a run again. Coco Goff was there doing okay. Those were the stories until you got to kind of quarterfinals, semifinal stages, and then suddenly they all lost in about half an hour of each other. Um, and you you ended up with this final. I mean, I, I listened to the press comments with, with Danka Kovanich, who made the final, and it was a little bit like when we had um, the the show talking about 
Krishikova a, a, f- a few weeks ago, and you've got another player who's just sort of this is the making of her this sort of week this it just suddenly feels like it's happened for her um but she got beaten pretty handily in the final there 6462 and Kuda could be a a threat in to some pretty big names i think in in the months to come what are you seeing i mean she can play on anything yeah i really think so she she reached the final in the first week of the season in Abu Dhabi, played really well there, obviously on a hard court, is is now playing well on clay. And I, I think I read that she said clay is her favourite surface. So we should probably look for her to be more of a threat over the coming weeks as well. She leads the tour this year in aces, which really surprised me. I, I didn't have her down as, as a big server, but she seems to be sort of maximising that shot in a in a similar vein to the way Ash Barty does. Um I mean, she was brilliant in Charleston. She wasn't even pushed beyond 6-4 in any of the sets she played, won the tournament without dropping a set. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a tournament which, as you said, was defined by the fact that the big names lost. But between them, Kudamatova and Kovanich were responsible for a lot of those names going out. Kudamatova beat Stevens and she beat Paola Badosa, who'd beaten Barty, and Kovanich herself beat Kvitova, Jabur and... Putin saver so they were very worthy finalists but it, it, it was a shock to see them and I think Charleston recently has has been a bit of a springboard for players I remember Kerber winning there before she had her big season in 2016 I think Sloane Stevens won there before she won the US Open I, I remember watching Daya Kasakina I think beating Yelena Ostapenko the year that Ostapenko went on a few weeks later to win Roland Garros yeah exactly so I think just because it felt like a perhaps weaker weekend than we were maybe expecting in Charleston. That's the that's the biggest women's only tournament in North America, Charleston. That's that's a big deal for Kudamatova to win that. And mm. yeah, she's she's very much on the rise. I, I enjoy watching her play. Looks like a lovely club, that place, mm. whenever I see it on TV. I'd love to go to Charleston. Charleston one or Charleston two. <laughs> Yes, because there's Charleston too. This double, week. The, double the chances to go to Charleston. Um, mm. Yeah, it's one. It's one of the ones that is near the top of my list of tennis tournaments that I haven't been to but would like mm. to. And two more reasons to like it: the uh, the centre court is called the Althea Gibson Court. Yeah, which is great. And they were giving out to players upon their departure from the tournament. The COVID nineteen vaccine, the Johnson and Johnson COVID nineteen vaccine, to all players. Yeah, which is the it. single dose one for people saying, yeah. "Well, what's the point if they're not around for the second dose?" <laughs> yeah, um, but great, yeah. great initiative that. Yeah, um, amazing, amazing. All yeah, I'm, I'm very pro Charleston, yeah, a real foodie city apparently. Is it? Mm. Oh, I'm coming. Mm. Great. Uh, Lots of things it, with grits. What grits? <laughs> it's a it's a deep south um, food, isn't it? How to make southern style grits? Grits like polenta are made from dried corn that's been stone ground. They're porridge made from made from porridge made from boiled cornmeal. Okay, the description doesn't sound <laughs> great. I'll give I'll give you that, but <laughs> apparently it's delicious. Sounds gross, but I'm sure it's lovely. Um, in the doubles final, the, the number one seeds, Nicole Melichar and Demi Schur, 
completed their week with a title. They beat the Czech pair Marie Buskova and Lucy Hradecka uh, 6264. Um, I, I've watched I've watched Demi Schur play a few times doubles. Spectacular player to watch. Really athletic and kind of great reactions and just just natural ball player. Um, didn't get to see any of it, unfortunately. But anyway, they were they're, they're, absolutely surprised and delighted to find out that they got a Volvo each for winning the they? tournament. Yeah, one each. Yeah. Well, how are they going to get that home? <laughs> they got a Volvo they, each. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe Charleston gets in touch with their local dealer. Yeah, yeah, that would make a lot more sense, wouldn't it? So it's not a driving the Volvos onto the court situation. No, 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 no. Well, that's what it is uh, in, in Stuttgart, isn't it? Handing they over drive the keys the Porsche saying, on. off you go. They drive right. the Porsche onto court. And... But, but surely that's just for show. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that I've thought about it properly for the first time in my life, which I probably should have done before I said something stupid on the tennis podcast, I realise, yes, Matt, that is definitely just for show. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how many of these doubles teams that were in that draw knew that that was going to be the outcome and Probably how many would have signed up had they not yeah. I, yeah. I mean I think they thought it was just for the singles players it, 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 you know Volvo is the is the sponsor and yeah they were they were absolutely thrilled about it <laughs> but they bloody were Melachar and Schur are now 3-0 and in doubles finals as a team started together as a pair last season and they're now 10th uh, this is now the 10th WTA doubles title for Melichar, 14th for sure. I mean, you would think that they are going to end up um, in the WTA finals at the end of the year, the way they go. So we shall see. Um, elsewhere, a, a brilliant story, this, in the tournament in Colombia, a teenage wildcard called Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano. Uh, she she won the title there, and I watched the match point of this in her her title victory against Tamara Zidansek five seven six three six four, and that reaction is what sport is all about. Just somebody looking totally overwhelmed, totally in disbelief, kneeling down, and just looking up as if. She's just trying to make sense of it all, and it was a it was a wonderful moment. Matt, did you see that that um, clip? Because I mean, she she wasn't supposed to win this title, you know, on paper. She's come from nowhere, really, a wild card, a teenager, and she wins the thing. Yeah, incredible, just overcome with emotion at the end. Uh, she's a former junior world number one and U.S. Open girls champion I, I must say I, she wasn't on my radar at all um this was only her fourth wta event um so just totally unexpected for her to win it and um yeah there's there's been a there's been a real bunch of teenage champions on the wta tour this year you know clara torson Iga Sviantek, and leila fernandez and now maria camilla osorio serrano so yes got to try and remember that name there's, there's a lot of names there to remember <laughs> well done her fantastic um right a couple of uh bits of news have taken place away from the court one that is going to transfer onto the court in monte carlo is that felix Aliasim is going to be coached by tony nadal did you see that one coming catherine 
Oh gosh, no, no. <laughs> I know he. I know he trains a lot at the Rafael Nadal Academy. Yeah, which I really assume. Uh, yeah, so they've that's, been together you know, quite a bit recently, haven't they? And I know that Rafa Nadal thinks a lot of Auger Aliassime and it, 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 it's clear the qualities that the Nadal clan would would admire uh, in Auger Aliassime. Uh But in short, no, no, a thousand times no, I didn't see it coming. But I love it. I really love it. It's a cool development, isn't it? That's going to be a fascinating one to just sort of track, mm. isn't it? Yeah, he was he was on court today, Orger Aliassim, as he only managed to play, I think, about five or six games against Christian Garin in Monte Carlo before they had to stop for rain. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There was the, there's a there's a feeling, perhaps, that Felix Orger Aliassim has slightly stagnated. Well, he has. I mean, mm. don't, if you look at his results and the way he's lost those finals, that run's kept going. He's he feels like he's stalled. Yeah. So he, I think he made a coaching change at the end of last season. He he stopped working with someone he'd been working with for a while, and Frederick Fontang is still on his team. Tony Nadal is going to travel, I think, to the Slams and some other some other events, for example, Monte Carlo. So he's not going to be there all the time. But it's a very, very different role for... for I almost called him Uncle Tony. I think this is the time... Just, just do it, This Matt. is the time That's where I need do. to stop calling him Uncle Tony because he's, he's nah. not there as an uncle. <laughs> There's no way you can justify that now. Um, so it's interesting on for both reasons. What will happen to Felix because of this? And also, how will... Tony Nadal adapt to this you know he he's worked with Nadal from a very very young age and I imagine sort of molded him and shaped him as a tennis player he's now got Felix Auger-Aliassim who is more or less complete and it's just about those finishing touches and that is going to be fascinating to see how he brings the experience he's had with Nadal to Felix Auger-Aliassim such a different role but I'm absolutely his, uh, fascinated his, by it his motivation for for doing it fascinates me you know mm. I, don't, I don't know i haven't got an answer for it i just i'm just really curious to know what it was well i always assumed he stopped working with nadal because he didn't fancy the travel anymore he felt like yeah. nadal was in safe hands with carlos moya not that he wasn't needed but that he knew he'd be fine and his loss wouldn't be felt and you know it's not like he's not still in his life he's He's been working at his academy, hasn't he, in Mallorca? But that's what I always thought the reason was. And, and maybe that was the reason. And he's just had a couple of years on the on the sidelines, you know, like players post-retirement that say, I never, never want to pick up a tennis racket again. And then two years later, <laughs> they're on the Champions Tour. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Nadal Ogier, I see. Well, what on match. earth does poor Tony do? Well, he's, he's said he won't sit in either box. Sure, but, but does he the withhold his coaching expertise? Who's he cheering for? Backstage. I don't have an answer to that, David. It's oh, very... Somebody sneak a phone camera in and check him out. That's, <laughs> but, that's what I want to know. I mean, it strikes me that he... I mean, he wouldn't have done this with anyone. That There is something he sees in Orger Aliassim, mm. which... I think more than just for game reasons, it's for attitude reasons. I think he really appreciates the way 
Aliassime approaches tennis and the way he, I guess, thinks his voice will be respected and Aliassime will want to absorb the information that, that he's got to give. And I, I don't think he would have come back to the tour just for anyone. There's there's definitely something particular he's seen in Aliassime through working together at the academy for a while. And he clearly thinks there's something he can offer him. Absolutely. I mean, 100% of his one-to-one coaching experience has been with the gold standard mm. of attitude. Um, so and he's perhaps <laughs> responsible for a good bit of it himself. Well, exactly. Mm. You know. So I don't, you know, he's not going to then take on Benoit Pair, is he? <laughs> yeah, he's having a rough time, Benoit. Um, and his beard is even longer, and he's a, and it's and he's he is an interesting case study because he's lost all these matches, and he seems to want to carry on playing every single week. He looks as miserable as sin. I, I, I feel quite sorry for him because he looks he looks really down, and he's quite open about it, and he's talking about it, and yet he's carrying on playing. I sort of I'm torn between thinking that he's disrespecting the sport by these kind of half efforts sometimes and then also slightly worrying about him. You know, it's I don't quite know how to feel about him. Mm, I mean, one of the tough things is that he sometimes plays like this in totally normal <laughs> circumstances, mm. which which is what makes it slightly harder, I think, to, to fully respect what he's saying at the moment. I, I definitely think there's a discussion to be had about the mental health of these players at the moment. But I don't know. Benoit Pair giving less than half effort has happened in perfectly normal times as well. And I think mm. I think he's very, very close to the line at the moment with, with the way he is performing on the court. Mm. Yeah. I, I would also say I, I think it would be fine for him to come into press and say, I'm having a really tough time at the moment. I'm emotionally struggling with this. I've got... We've got endless sympathy with that. Um, I've got less sympathy with just throwing stones at tennis happening in these circumstances mm. and the efforts being made to make these events happen. It's okay to not be enjoying it and to be wishing things were like they were and to be yearning for normality again. That's fine. Um, but I think you can do that with a sense of perspective uh which seems to be seems to be lacking hmm. looks like the french open is going to happen folks uh, but a week later than planned it has been postponed it means that we have the french open pushing into the grass court season which uh, which hasn't been planned obviously previously they've, they've expanded the grass court season uh, but the grand slam board put out a statement saying that it would actually be reduced by a week the uh, the grass court season which seemed to take uh, stuttgart a bit by surprise um but anyway th- that's the situation at least it looks like the french open will go ahead and um and yeah fingers crossed they're able to get a crowd that's why they've put it back is because obviously the the covid restrictions in france at the moment is so severe they're struggling with the virus and um they want to have a crowd so they they're giving themselves an extra week to try to achieve that 
Um, the Davis Cup finals that was announced today are, as well as being played in Madrid, are also going to be played in Turin and Innsbruck with in the sort of preliminary stages of that finals week between the 25th of November and the 5th of December. Um, not everybody in favour of, of that move. And I think, personally, I think time will tell. Um, I... I'm not 100% convinced about it either, really, the idea of um, playing this this event across three cities in Europe, particularly at the moment. Uh, I realise it's later in the year, this, but, um, yeah, I don't know what you two think, but I'm not. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned. I know that the, the, the finals in Madrid are not going to be played in the Caia Magica now, are they? No, they're using a, a different arena in more central Madrid, which perhaps will be better for transport links and things. But um, yeah, I mean, if ever there was a time to hold an event all in one place, it, it, it is very much now. I do think there are big concerns about, let's say, fans were able to travel. I don't know how fans are supposed to get from the group stages to the finals if their country gets there without just having to book at the very, very last minute. So that would be a concern. But, you know, we said when the Davis Cup finals happened at the end of 2019 that they probably did need to make some adjustments to it. And I do like the fact that they've been open to making some tweaks. They've they've made it longer, which, again, you could say is a negative because it's extending the end of the season right into the start of December. But, I mean, I was there at the Davis Cup finals in 2019 and... It was ridiculous the number of matches they were squeezing into a week. It, it needed to be a longer yeah. tournament. So I do like the fact that they have been open to making some changes, and I'm very intrigued to see how it goes in these in these cities. But I I understand that people also have a have some concerns about the solution they've come up with. Mm. We shall see, uh, Catherine. Tell us about uh, George, the mascot for the week. George is uh, a golden doodle. Which is sort of a sort of very big Billy Jean. His um, he's got a very Billy Jeany face about him, uh, and he's very much like Mary Carillo's uh, latest addition to the family, Toast, which I know is your favourite dog. I love Toast. Which is yeah. he's amazing, Toast. Mm. He's massive, and he's just this <laughs> big ball of fur, and just. I reckon he, him and we could be mates. <laughs> I think Mary's quite surprised by how massive Toast is. <laughs> yes. Well, we saw puppy pictures of Toast and, uh, yes, he was a very modest little package, wasn't he? <laughs> Didn't Toast arrive while Mary was yes. in the US Open bubble, bubble and mm. she got home to Toast? What a welcome back. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, so we've been sent two pictures of, of George and in one... He looks very Billy Jean like he's he's on a bed and he looks like he's just stuck in a flat stuck a flag in it and said, "Yep, yeah, this is my bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a human bed, <laughs> I should say." And uh the other picture, he seems to be wearing um an an air a, an airline cushion around his neck. Excellent. Uh, and owned I mean, by don't know why, a, but great. Owned by Ailey Nicholson. So thank you very much, uh, Ailey, for sending George our way. Much appreciated. Um, we've got our own mascots. I've got Rogue. Uh, Matt has got Scouse or Mousel. And Catherine has got Zeus. Uh, Billie Jean has got Billie Jean King, which is quite useful. Uh, and uh, our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee. And we have shout-outs, Matt. 
We do. And I, I must start today's shout outs with a with a long overdue apology. Um, oh, yeah. What we done there? Well, it's something I've done during during Australian Open relived our our tears of Pete Sampras show. I gave a shout out to a Josh Aberdeen. I remember it well. Well, we we recently did a survey for a number of our listeners and Kickstarter backers, and in that survey, a guy called John Aberdeen said. Thank you very much for the shout out, but uh, my name's actually John, not Josh. Oh no! <laughs> so I just—I've I've been mortified ever since I read that, and regret the error deeply. So I just wanted to put that right, and also point out that we are reading the survey and the responses. So... Josh Aberdeen got a big old freebie, though, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> John, your name's way better. Yes. Yeah. So who we got today? So today we've got Claire Hayden. All right, Claire. Hello, Claire. I mean, I say Thanks we've so got so much Claire. Claire, I'm now nervous like, uh, that she might actually I, be called something else and I've copied it down wrong. <laughs> like Isaac Hayden, the uh, Newcastle United player. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Claire, Claire spelt as in Claire Balding or the other one? The or other Claire. one, I believe. Oh. Right, okay. Oh, anyway, Claire, you're excellent. Thanks so, actually, so much. Now I look at it, Hayden not spelt like Isaac Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> Who else we got? We've got Teresa Ross. Teresa. Hello, Theresa. Like uh, Theresa May. Indeed. And Paul Ross, or Jonathan Ross. They're brothers, aren't they? <laughs> Paul Ross? <laughs> Paul Ross hasn't got a mention I on think the podcast. Of Paul Ross. Because <laughs> what? Have you seen the Amazon review of the Paul Ross poster? It's like when an did iconic Paul Ross get in ahead thing? of Jonathan oh. Ross? Blimey, I was not expecting that. <laughs> anyway, Theresa. Google fantastic. Amazon review. Paul Ross. Will do. You won't Matt. be disappointed. <laughs> Who's our third? Our third is Peter Dangerfield. Oh, oh that's sensational. I went to the Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Catherine. <laughs> Peter, you're, you're a legend. Uh, and if you're wondering why we're shouting out these people, it's because they backed our crowdfunding campaign at the end of last year, which is something we do every year in order to keep this show on the road. Um, so thank you to all of those that have contributed to that. Um, and yeah, there's, thanks for listening. There's Catherine. no point in plugging the Kickstarter now because everyone tuned out as soon as I started singing. <laughs> no oh, I don't know. Listening. That's. That's suddenly, you know, now we've had Matt and then we've had Catherine. I don't, what am I going to come, come up with? Anyway, uh, that's for the future. Uh, Catherine, go and get to bed. <laughs> You're sort of sliding down that sofa <laughs> as you speak to us, aren't you? Because Catherine's been up since the early hours. And that is rare, let me tell you, to prepare for this forum that she was doing today. Um, uh, Billie and... Jean's got my USB adapter in her mouth. Oh, God. Uh, right, quick, everybody, let's go. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Bye, Matt. Drop it. 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.